0: Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Good evening, Cork Church. Just thinking there as we we're singing, you know, what a privilege is ours to be here in, on a Wednesday night in Cork City in a, in a world that has dismissed, by and large, God as superstitious nonsense. For us to be here and for our tongues that can, in their natural state, do so much damage just to be filled with the name of Jesus. What a privilege, what a blessing is ours. We we take it for granted at times, but it is such a privilege. Let's pray together. Lord, just pray then for my tongue that you will fill it with your spirit, that you'll give me that ability and adequacy by the power of your spirit, Lord, to just deliver your word tonight. I pray that I will do it justice by your grace. And Lord, that you'll speak to us and that you will Lord, break down barriers in our hearts, that you will just propel us forward even in your kingdom and in your work through this time tonight, Lord. Oh God, we ask you now in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, it's that time of the year again, isn't it, when you know human nature does a bit of a reset. Um, always, as Pastor Patrick was saying it on Sunday, with the slight dread of it not lasting, the reset button kind of we, 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 we get filled with hope <laughs> um, and then you know maybe come April or May, we look around us and we see the ruins of all our aspirations uh, a hum- this is a human problem, uh, and then we look on in amazement at those select few disciplined people who just you know go from five k to half-marathon, to marathon, to Iron Man, to... Exactly. (laughs) But as Christians, I think we, we have a problem that seems on the surface similar. But we are not living in a human dimension. We can't just regard our problems as human problems. We're humans and there are human elements, but we live in a different dimension. And... The problem I'm I'm, I'm talking about is that we can also, at times, ourselves, or we can encounter people who are absolutely full of what the Lord is doing in themselves or in their lives, and then there can be a a tailing off, a running out of steam. This might be you. It can, at times, it is, at times, me. We, We seem to hit a wall. And on the surface, as I say, that can seem like the same type of problem. Um, But, as I say, there's a human element to everything. We all prefer the start of a thing to the slog of a thing. There's always that in us all, for sure. But at the same time, there is another dimension to it. And that's what I want to speak about tonight. So I want to speak about the, the concept of the spiritual front line. Because I believe that's where we operate. The spiritual frontline. And this is, I believe, what has an effect on, on this problem we're talking about. This kind of fading at times that we experience. Now, what is a front line? And I'm speaking about it in the military context. And I just looked up the definition. A military front line, according to NATO, is the line of contact of two opposing forces. And that's what we're dealing with, two opposing forces. And when they come into contact, it's the line of contact. And that line of contact can be offensive or defensive. It can be one or the other, or it can be both. And indeed, there are times for us when it, is, it must be defensive and there are times when it must be offensive. And I want to look at both tonight and try to understand this challenge we face and give a God perspective and give a God positive just encouragement in this very real issue that we face. Now, in in addressing this topic of, of the front line, I do want to be sensitive to the fact that we have brothers and sisters and friends in this church for whom the front line is a very real thing. You know, it arrived on their apartment blocks or their houses in Kiev and in Mariupol and in Melitopol and all of these places. They've experienced this reality in their lives very recently. And it's, it's a very difficult and traumatic thing. Some of them have families that are still Behind the front lines or at the front lines or fighting on the front lines. So we just want to acknowledge that and not not take this as a light topic. But we're more talking here about the spiritual front line. And we know that in the world, as it stands globally, there are different front lines where the enemy is operating. We've spoken, we heard a wonderful um, exhortation and exposition of that front line related to Israel. It is a battlefront, both physical and spiritual, because the enemy has a spiritual interest there. And of course we realize that as believers, the enemy of our soul is launching frontal attacks on every aspect of life that is holy, or that is good, or that is right, whether it's family life, or gender identity, or un- the unborn child, or sexuality. All of these things, um, these are all front lines, if you like, in the spiritual realm where the enemy seeks to push and push and push against God's truth. Now, for us, these are not our immediate battlegrounds. They're not. We don't take up our positions on the streets, protesting or trying to overly influence these issues. They interact with us, but it's not our battlefront. Our battlefront is the gospel. It's the gospel. And we should always keep that in mind. We're not fighting for a just society. We're fighting for the souls of men, women, and children. That's In the end of the day, that's our front line. Because the souls of men and women, that's the only true catalyst for change in a society. It really is. So the moment we get saved, the moment we find Christ, we become part of this great army of God. We're on a side. We take a side. Scripture tells us that the captain of our salvation is Jesus, the Lord Jesus. And sooner or later, we will find ourselves then in the heat of the front line. The front line is the point of contact, the point where it gets gets hot. And sometimes we will find ourselves in that front line when we don't necessarily want to be in it or expect to be in it. And what I want to look at tonight, I want to look at three things. First of all, I want to look at how that front line, if you like, can arrive right on our doorstep, even if we don't think we're not expecting it, we're not sort of engaged in a a gospel campaign as such, but it can arrive into us and catch us out unawares. I then want to look at defensive strategy, the Word of God tells us about. And finally, then offensive strategy, strategy of attack. So let's, we're going to look at those three things. And just for the first point, how that front line can, can find its way to us, could you turn please to 2 Samuel chapter 10? We'll just look at this and then we'll, we'll go to the New Testament then later on. But I just want to take this example from the life of King David. Um, so before we get into chapter 10, I just want to read one verse from chapter 8 where it says that the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And it recounts a lot of the battles that David uh, won won over the surrounding there it says when the syrians saw that they had been defeated by israel they gathered themselves together and hadad ezer sent and brought out the syrians who were beyond the euphrates they came to helam with shobach the commander of the army of hadad at their head and it, when it was told david he gathered all israel together crossed the jordan and came to helam this is the front line he comes there with the army the whole of israel the syrians arrayed themselves against david and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel. And David killed of the Syrians the men of 700 chariots and 40,000 horsemen and wounded Shobak, the commander of their army, so that he, he died there. And when all the kings who were servants of Hadadezer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and become, became subject to them. So the Syrians were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore. Now, in the spring of the year, going into verse 11, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told J- David, I am pregnant. So I think most people will know the rest of this story. It's It's... It's a long account of murder. David arranges for Bathsheba's husband to be murdered to cover up his sin um, It ends up with um, basically civil war in the country. The downstream effects of all of this it's a It's a long and sad story, but anyway, just the context here of this happening this David and Bathsheba incident. The context in the background is that David had been on the most amazing trajectory. God had taken him from years of struggle, years of wandering and being chased around the wilderness by Saul over a pretty short period of time into a place of great blessing. It's been a whirlwind few years for David. Gone from being the hunted animal to victory after victory after victory in battle after battle with the Moabites, the Elamites, the Syrians, the whole works north, south, east, and west you could if you if you could look at a map of that time you'd see front lines being marked in every direction, and David winning david winning David winning. but here we have this curious incident where. The time comes around again, the spring when kings go out to war, but this time David sends Joab, and he takes a step back, so he stays back from the front line, or so he thinks now, I'd just like to consider why did he do this, and of course, scripture doesn't give us a definitive answer why he does it. we can. We can make a few, I think, informed thoughts about this, which I think can help us understand just in, in his possibly his his thinking process. One thought is it could have been complacency. As I say, this man was once a hunted animal. Now here he is walking on the roof of the king's house, surveying his kingdom looking down over Jerusalem, all that's now his, looking across over into the from Jerusalem right down into the Jordan Valley, over into the Edom and Moab, looking on every side, all his enemies subdued. And isn't it so easy to become complacent? We if we're if we're on a on a good run, how easy we think we are not vulnerable and forget the source of our strength. Complacency. That's one possibility. Ah, Joab, you, you take this one. i am we're, we're grand. We're, we're winning all around us. I'm going to step back here a bit. Another possibility is tiredness. This is perhaps hinted at when it says that David arose from his couch. He's sleeping the afternoon away. Now, maybe it was a normal siesta. But he's weary. He's weary of the battle. He's weary of the fight. And the reality is that when the Lord is doing a work and when God is moving, it can be seriously hard work when God is operating. If you're, if you, if you're working and moving and God is doing something, there's a cost to victory. There's a cost to that battle, to that fight, to that involvement, even when it's victorious. There is a price to walking with God, and we can become tired of paying it. The third option is it could just be some legitimate reason. He could have had some local issue in Jerusalem that he needed to deal with. He could have been under the weather. We don't know. Either way, either way, whatever the reason that David stayed back here in Jerusalem and in his own mind, he's not on the front line. But the front line comes to him. And his defences have not been fortified. He doesn't see what's on the roof that day. In the spiritual realm, there's a prowling lion, as Peter calls it, which we'll turn to in a while, a prowling lion pacing up and down that roof. The enemy is against the establishment and victory of the people of Israel just then as he is now. And what he can't achieve, what he's not achieving on the great battlefields, he can look to achieve in the heart of the king. And that's where he turns his attention. To the heart of the king. To set his eye on something else. And just want to turn this to ourselves Think of perhaps our own lives. Perhaps the Lord has begun to move in your life after some really dark times. Perhaps you have come into a new place of liberty and joy in the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you've just found the Lord. You're, you're, you've come into a whole new day of knowing Christ. Or we can look back and say, well, you know what? The Lord has been doing wonderful things amongst us. But as i said, often then, when... When we go through these times, there can be this pushback that comes from the enemy of our souls. It will come. That can cause a fading away. Even for those of us many, many years on the road, there can come a weariness, there can come a complacency, there can come some sort of stagnation. And the enemy comes to push back, and he brings that front line into our heart, seeks to target us there. If God is moving, and I believe God is moving, I believe the Lord has been moving. When we look back on 2023, I believe God has been moving. And we are naive to think that the enemy will not seek to resist it. We don't need to be afraid of that, but we just need to be not naive about it. And we, we cannot expect that he won't try to target our heart. And the enemy, he, his, his strength is he's always looking to sniff out weakness. In any good battle plan, The enemy will not attack the fortified area, the defended area. He looked for the weak points. He looked for the weak points. And obviously this is where the enemy of Israel's Israel found that weak point and targeted it right into the heart of the king. That front line, David might have thought it's over with the Ammonites, but it has made its way all the way back to Jerusalem and into his heart. And we can retreat from what we think is the front line, but the enemy will find us on the roof. And he targets, he can target our emotions, he can target our thinking, he can target our theology, he can target our desires, And suddenly you find yourself thinking something strange. Or you find yourself desiring something that you didn't desire before. Or looking at something and going for something that previously you didn't think about at all. Or suddenly getting a desire for something. Don't be naive. The enemy can bring that front line right into our hearts in order to halt and hinder what God is doing in you and me. And of course, the, 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 the sad outcome here was that on that same roof, terrible things happened. David's own son brought a, David's wives up there, put tents up there and slept with them. Terrible things came to pass because of that fall that he had. And you know we can pierce ourselves through with many sorrows, through being naive, naive to the enemy's strategy. Philippines tells us we are not ignorant of his devices, and it's our it's our job as Christians, as Bible students, as preachers and teachers. It's to alert us, be alert, be alert to the enemy of our soul. Now. That's just an example. But I want to look now at our defensive strategy um, and try to understand, well, what's the... How do we set ourselves? How do we think about defending that front line when it comes and hits us, perhaps where we're weak? And to do that, I want to turn to First Peter. If you could turn with me, please, to the book of First Peter in chapter 5, um, and again, I, th- I sometimes think of Peter as the, as the David of the New Testament. He had that special relationship with the Lord. He was in, it called for leadership, full of flaws like David. This man knew plenty about Satan trying to get him, trying to finish him off. In fact, Jesus even called him Satan because the enemy had, was doing such a, a work in Peter at the time. But I think there's a wonderful, before we go to chapter 5, there's a wonderful outburst of praise at the start of this letter of Peter's where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hallelujah. This is something King David didn't have. A living hope. A living hope through the resurrection. A new life. A new life. So 1 Peter chapter 5, and let's take it from verse 6. We'll just read a few verses. This is our military handbook, if you like. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever Amen. First part of our defensive strategy is get down low into the trenches. Get down low. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Do you know we're vulnerable in the open, in our own pride and self-will, in our own ideas, in our own self-thinking. But get down low. Get into the trench. Get into the place of cover under the mighty hand of God. Get down low. Humble yourself. Protected under that mighty hand. Second strategic position, set a Watch be sober minded be watchful just be aware be aware that pushback will come you're feeling great you're, you're loving it you're, you're you're knowing the presence of the lord you're flying along be aware that the day will come when you'll feel empty when the devil will come and he will cause then your hopes to come crushing down just be aware be watchful it will happen. The time won't come when we, we, we just won't feel it or we'll just, we'll feel, we'll wonder about it all. Just be watchful for that moment. Set a watch. And don't panic. Number three, hold the line. That roaring line, he's coming around seeking someone to devour, but resist him. Hold The line. Resist Him. Don't panic. When the wheels seem to come off, when you're not feeling it anymore, when the the worship seems to not move you, when the word is just going in one ear out the other, when your prayers seem like they're bouncing off the ceiling, when you're just being tormented by every other desire, don't panic. Just hold the line. Resist him. Resist. That's all it says. Just resist him. When the thoughts are coming in, resist. Resist. Fourthly, stay within the fortifications. What's our fortification? It's the stronghold of faith. Faith, not feelings, is our stronghold. Our feelings and our sense of initiative and our sense of enthusiasm and our sense of go ahead. That will come and go. That's not the stronghold. The stronghold is faith. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Not firm in your commitment, firm in your feelings, firm in in your devotion. All of these things will go up and down. Firm in your faith. That's the stronghold. We might, as we said, we might look in envy at the disciplined people in the world. But in the spiritual realm, this is a no contest. This is a roaring lion against sheep. There is no contest. This is not a race to the strong. This is not a victory to the powerful. This is a victory to those who believe. Those who believe. That's it. Faith in our strong tower a mighty fortress is our God. Hallelujah. Number five, defensive strategy. Fight as part of your unit. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You know, in some ways, the strength of our fellowship with, with each other is in our shared suffering. It's in the fact that we're all going through the same battles. That's the strength. And how we find Christ in them. There's nothing encourages me more when I'm going through a tough time and I see how my brother or sister has gone through a tough time like that or is going through, or has been through and out the other side, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood. This is a strength to us. It's we're part of a unit. This is the comradeship of the unit. This is not a solo operation. We've heard that there's no comradeship like that formed in a battle unit, but I believe there is. It's the battle unit of the church. We're together together. We stand and we endure and we know that God is faithful and brings us through. Number six of our defensive strategy, don't be too discouraged by setbacks. He says, after you have suffered a little while, there will be at times that little while that the enemy intends for destruction, that roaring line, the word of God says, it seeks someone to devour. It wants to devour and destroy, but God won't allow that, but he will allow a little time, perhaps, of suffering. So don't be too discouraged by setbacks. They're not destruction. They're a, a short period of suffering. After you have suffered a little while, we then move to the offensive. Because That's where God brings. He brings from that place where we're set back on our heels, perhaps, where that, that push has come from, from the enemy. But he says after that period, you move forward and what's, what's our offensive strategy? Well, our offensive strategy is entirely based on God moving forward. He says, the God of all grace will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God himself will do it. Psalm 68 speaks about God. It says, God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the God of Sinai, the God of Israel. God goes on the offensive before us. He leads us forward. He will himself restore he'll restore the joy he'll restore the peace he'll restore that ground that you may have suffered loss in that setback and you feel you've gone backwards this is not like the like our new year's resolutions where our gym membership runs out at, by april and we're not no god restores the ground that's lost when we're in his kingdom he restores wasted time he restores peace he restores even the the things we've messed up through sin he will restore he'll confirm he'll strengthen he'll establish you and it's the god of all grace hallelujah grace is the great offensive weapon that drives back the enemy hallelujah not greater effort not more manpower not as we face into this year you know it's what we what what we depend on is is all grace all grace he will restore hallelujah we don't have to desperately try to get ourselves back in shape spiritually we don't have to get to the spiritual gym we just need to stand and resist when that onslaught comes when that pressure comes and have confidence and have faith that that God of all grace, don't panic, don't panic. He will restore. He will confirm. He will move you forward. And I, I just think it's wonderful, the the scope of God's offensive strategy. It's to him be Dominion. It's dominion. Dominion. Complete and utter authority and rule. That's that's the journey we are on, brothers and sisters. It's dominion. Dominion. Psalm 72 says, He shall have dominion from shore to the river. He shall have In practical terms, I just want to finish with a thought regarding offense, moving forward with God, moving forward with this God of all grace, moving forward into all that he wants to do and restore and confirm and establish as he looks to establish his dominion in this earth and in his kingdom. And as we go ahead to our week of prayer and fasting. I think there is we can perhaps think of this as setting ourselves on that front line to move forward with God in offensive direction. Acts 13 tells us that they were in the church at Antioch. Prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, etc. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So they being sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. This time of prayer and fasting for them at this point, it was a launch pad a launch pad of offence. To send Saul and Barnabas out to advance the kingdom. And you know, as, as we sat ourselves next week, I would challenge my own heart and I would challenge you, consider this for your life as a position on the front line, as we wait on God to lead us forth to lead us forth as we wait on the Holy Spirit to speak and to thrust forth those who he wants to, to thrust forth those works that he wants to, to move forward those initiatives that he wants to move forward. That's the purpose. As they waited on the Lord and fasted there in Antioch, God stepped forward and they moved forward with him. And I want to encourage us. Let's take this seriously and regard it as the front line where God wants to move us forward. I look back on any time of fasting and prayer in my own life that I have taken seriously and that has been a specific time. I can almost always trace some initiative or movement Forward in my life to that time. So I would say don't underestimate the potential of a time like this to move forward and to allow the Holy Spirit to have that clarity amongst us as we empty ourselves of everything else and to have that openness to hear his voice as he seeks to launch forth what he wants to do in your life, in my life, in the church, in the the kingdom of God, as we move forward in this journey where he will rule and reign and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God.